Welcome to another edition of Reptile Fight Club. As always, Chuck Bolin, the man, Hi-de- the myth, the legend. Hi-de- ho there, reptile oh, friends. Got a lot of little uh, Ned Flanders there. I diddly doot it. <laughs> well, Owen will be delighted. Ah. I don't know if he listens to us, but I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll find out if he listens to us. Yeah. Um, well, you're fine and dandy like sour candy, I, I assume. Ooh, another I like that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. Another. yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm, well, Oakley Dokley. <laughs> anything uh, new and exciting going on? <sighs> no, no, not really. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> just same old, same old. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, maybe I'll hit a few of the highlights of the, the Herp trip. Tell me. T- yes. Yeah. I know. I don't want to spoil the whole recap. Uh, but you know, well, it'll probably be released before this anyway. So yeah, ah. we're, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pretend like it's, uh, this is, you know, after the recap. So I'm sure wow. you heard all the wonderful things about the trip. If you're a Patreon on, uh, Morelia Python's radio, if, if not go uh, sign up as a Patreon and you can hear all the juicy details of the show or the, the, the trip. But basically it was, uh, Rob Stone, uh, it was, you know, he planned the trip and, mm-hmm. and, uh, planned all the places, set up all the arrangements and it was, we stayed in some really cool places. So the, the first, uh, half of the week we all were camping at, or no, it's, he does Airbnb. Oh, so gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I'm more of a camper guy. So I right. got there. Well, a day I that. I knew, that's <laughs> yeah. why I asked. I, yeah, yeah. I got there a day early and I, um, was planning to, you know, sleep in a tent the first night and I went to get, get ready for bed. And, you know, I'd, I'd herped all night and hadn't found much of anything aside from a red spotted toad. It was a cool looking toad, but, um, and then I, um, go to get, you know, get ready for bed, get set up the camp set up or whatever. And I couldn't find my sleeping bag. And I'm like, did I leave it at home? And so I just, I just put the, my sleep, I had my sleeping pad. I had the tent. I had like a, a cot, all, everything I needed except my sleeping bag. I even brought my pillow and usually I forget my pillow. So I was like, gosh, dang it. So I just, uh, slept in the back of my truck on top of my sleeping pad in the back seat, you know, and, and it was okay. Like I, I got a reasonable amount of sleep, maybe four or five hours. And, uh, and then, you know, and then, um, later in the trip, like Keith wanted to get one of my knobtail books, uh, Keith McPeak was mm-hmm. on the, on the trip. And, and I'm like, I, I forgot my, I, I, I think I left my books in one of the rental places and I'm like, crap, you know, I don't have the books either. Where did they go? And I'm looking all over for them. I thought I had them with me. I thought I'd brought them into the first place and I couldn't find them. So finally I'm like, gosh, dang, I guess I lost them somewhere. I'm going to have to call up the you know, Airbnbs and figure out where they went. Yeah. Some and, uh, rando Airbnb person just yeah. came up on some gecko books. huh? Right. Right. Oh, and man. so, oh, so if I get home and I'm cleaning out the car and I lift up the seats and there's my sleeping bag and there's the gecko books. I'd put the seat oh, down on top no. of them. And so I had a, you know, an uncomfortable night with, it was a little cold too. It got, you know, down in the forties that night, that first night. So I was sleeping in my car in the forties and no real blanket or anything. <laughs> I just had like my cot, uh, the, the cot without the, all the bars and stuff in it. That was my, um, my blanket. So it was not the best night's sleep I've ever gotten, but it wasn't too terrible. But anyway, I survived. Tough man status. Yeah. So, so that was, I, I drove down. I was, I, you know, was basically the vehicle for the trip. And so I picked up the guys at the airport the next day, um, picked up Keith first and we recorded a nice little reptile fight club. And Mm -hmm. uh, I heard that had a, had a fun, uh, chat with him and Keith's just a, an awesome guy, really, a a really cool guy. It was a pleasure to herp with him and, um, get to know him a little better. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. So I, I really enjoyed our conversations and stuff. So, um, definitely hope to herp with him again soon. Um, also, uh, Owen, the famous Owen McIntyre of, you know, Morelia Python's radio fame was, was there. And, um, he was actually the last one to arrive. So we, I picked up Keith and then we recorded a podcast and we were sitting in this park and all these cool birds flying around. So that was kind of neat. I know, then- <laughs> dude, I was like, geez, this is, this is a reptile. This is a reptile <laughs> podcast, people. 
<laughs> I will remind you, birds are reptiles, <laughs> technically. So. I understand <laughs> anyway. that. They're flying reptiles, <laughs> though. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, you, you share the sentiments of Rob Stone and Owen McIntyre, yeah. who, who could give a crap about birds. Um, and then we had uh, Tom, his last name's failing me. Um, he works at the Denver zoo and he's Rob's buddy, uh, from way back. And so he was the other, he made the, uh, our fifth. And so, um, you know, we had a pretty good crew. It was a lot of, a lot of fun. We had a good time. Who you know, took the best of, pictures? Last... Oh, Rob. Yeah. Okay. All right. Rob takes a lot of pictures and it, Does you he? know, okay. yeah, it was kind of funny cause, um, Owen found uh, a banded rock rattlesnake, right? The nice, clobberite. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty sweet. You know, we we're all excited. It was kind of funny because um, we were, you know, could hear it rattling. Well, he flipped he he flipped some uh, artificial cover and it was under there. He's like rattlesnake, and you know, he didn't have a hook. So we come running over, we you know, just to kind of make sure we could get pictures of it. Yeah, I shouldn't. Um. Anyway, we we uh, we it kind of disappears. So we're trying to uncover other stuff to get a, get a glimpse of it and get some pictures of it and stuff. And so, um, and we could hear it rattling and we're not seeing it, you know? And finally I looked down, it's right between my feet, <laughs> like just oh, wow. <laughs> coiled up there between my feet rattling away. So we were able to get pictures of it. And that's the nice thing about rattlesnakes is they don't really try to flee. They're more kind of stand their yeah. ground and rattle and be defensive. So that helps when you're trying to get pictures of them. So we got some, okay. You know, Rob got some great pictures. We got some okay pictures, <laughs> but yeah. you know, I, I've kind of resorted just to using my cell phone for photos. Like they do, they do a great job. You was know, that they, a pucker factor when you look down and he was right there between <laughs> your legs? I think if it was any, this was a smaller animal. Yeah. So if it was, any, Any bigger, bigger, it would have been a little intimidating. Might have, might have so, bit you in the junk. Yeah, yeah. that was kind of getting ahead of things. That was kind of towards the latter end, but I thought that was a fitting story that for that. Good, yeah, it is a yeah. good story. Yeah. So, so anyway, we started out. Uh, we, you know, we they flew into Tucson, so I picked them up at Tucson. We went and visited um, Dustin Gran. Uh, he was on Morality Python's radio and gave an interview, and really, he's a great field herper you know he's does quite a bit of field herping younger guy he's got a great collection too so he showed us his collection we got to see you know his animals and stuff he has some cool stuff and really nice setups for him and so we visited with him for a bit because i'd pick you know i'd picked up keith we did the podcast i picked up um, rob and tom and then we went to dustin's house because owen's flight was delayed so we had to wait for owen <laughs> and so we uh um after we uh, hung out with Dustin for a bit. Uh, we went and grabbed Owen and then we just drove to, uh, cave Creek, Arizona, which is kind of on the Arizona, New Mexico border. So okay. on the Eastern you know side of the state. So we kept cro crossing time zones, you know, back and forth from yeah. Arizona, New Mexico time, actually in the first Airbnb, it's, it's called cave Creek ranch. And it's a fantastic spot. It was really cool. I mean, if you like birds uh, yeah. or, or cool mammals, it was, I mean, if you're a naturalist, it's a great spot. Yeah. So, I mean, I just went out in the morning and just sat and I mean, they come out and put seed in the feeders and rub peanut butter on the trees and stuff like that. So all the animals are coming out. There's deer everywhere. We saw javelina like just right in the, on the grounds and That's pretty awesome. um, all sorts of birds. And I mean, it's a huge bird yeah. spot. Like there's a ton of birders that come there. Um, so really a cool place. And I, I was just, you know, over the moon, just out yeah. there every morning with, did you up your bird count? Oh what? yeah. I yeah. added another, you know, 10 or so species. So that was, so what cool. are you at now? 240. Yeah. Seven two forty five, yeah, or yeah. two forty four. So yeah, yeah good, see. good, good. Uh, you're keeping track, man. <laughs> I give <laughs> you crap, but I pay attention, dude. I do <laughs> yeah. pay attention. So we, you know, we'd go out from uh, Cave Creek. We we did a few hikes up the canyons, which were really cool, looking, you know, just for whatever we could see and enjoying the landscape and stuff. Mm -hmm. So the the and there was kind of a cold front coming through, so things got a little chilly. The nights would cool down really fast, and it even got down into the 30s one night. And so, obviously, road cruising at night is not the the best if if temperatures are down around the low four, 50s or yeah. 40s. You know, yeah. you're not going to see too much. But yeah, we did see quite a bit. One windy night, we saw several species of snake, a desert king snake. That was probably a highlight for me. <clears throat> it was the first 
first desert king snake in the wild I'd seen. And then um, we found a couple uh, uh, Mojave rattlers and a Western diamondback. So, so cool. So Owen got a lot of his rattlesnakes. (laughs) He got to see, yeah, yeah, got to see. Got to see his rattlesnakes. I, I know that's what I remember him saying that that was what he was really, uh, really excited to to go and find were a bunch yeah. of rattlesnake species. Well, in Arizona is a good place for that. You know, there's absolutely. I was I was surprised we didn't see a blacktail rattlesnake. That's one of the more common species yeah. down there, and we didn't see any of those. I was kind of bummed out because I really, but I can't complain because we saw the two kind of main targets that Rob mm-hmm. had, you know, put us in the right habitat for. So we found the banded rat, rock rattlesnakes and the ridge nose rattlesnakes. And that ridge nose um, was really nice. Oh yeah. That really was cool. Nice. And, yeah. And that was a good bo- score. I, um, I was just walking along the stream bed and, and, you know, f- when you're herping for rattlesnakes, a lot of times you hear them before you see you them. See them. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. And that's yeah. the nice thing. I mean, they're very polite snakes. You yeah. know, they let you know they're right there and yeah. you can take some nice pictures of them and let them go on their way. Yeah. Everybody's happy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that was kind of a thrill to, to see those. Um, we found two, two of each. Um, so after nice. we, so that was, um, so we, were they grouped was, uh, together or were they just random, different random spots or were they, you know, like, um, the, the clouds were in the same spot and the ridge noses were in two or, separate or different spots. spots. Gotcha. Yeah. But we, so after we, that was all in, in the Huachucas. Um, so we left cave Creek on Wednesday we got to go over to Bob Ashley's place. The, oh, nice. Um, yeah, he's got a, really cool place neat museum and all i mean it's dangerous for herper to go there because he's got all the books and all the shirts and hats and all that kind of stuff so it was really fun and um had a good time checking out his place he showed us around he'd just gotten back from tinley so he was like oh i bet he warp speed he had a lot of stuff to do you know but he was nice enough to take the time to show us around so that was really cool cool yeah really bob's a great guy yeah i haven't seen bob in a while it's been a long time since i've seen bob that not since like old narbc days yeah yeah, pulled the narbc out of out of southern california so yeah he's a um, nice guy oh yeah he's he's uh true pioneer and yep. is doing a lot of good stuff for herpetoculture and herpetology and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it was really fun to listen to him talk about, you know, uh, rattlesnakes. He knows uh, quite a bit about rattlesnakes. So, and showing us around his amazing museum is the Geronimo mm-hmm. uh, museum was really amazing as well. And really cool. So, um, a lot of fun. But unfortunately, you know, he didn't have a ton of time and and the weather conditions were a little cool. So not many of the animals in the museum, you know, on the, in the outdoor pits were out and we're out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. We just, the indoor stuff was pretty cool. He had uh, one of the vine snakes on display that you can find down in Southern Arizona. So that was cool to see at least. Is that a big, is um, he got a pretty big, big collection there or? Well, um, so on, in the museum, there's, there's, you know, it's a fairly good size room and, he's, and there's two separate rooms with, you know, a bunch of different native animals on display. So that was, that was cool. And then he took us back and showed us some of the off, off exhibit stuff. Yeah. Um, some of the projects that he's got going, they've whittled down the collection quite a bit recently just because it's too much. And they, yeah. I think they're, um, uh, one of his, uh, keepers had to leave and, took another job somewhere else. I mean, the hard thing is out there, there's not much going on. Like there's yeah. a diner, there's not even a gas station within, you know, a half hour drive or something. Yeah. So you got to, you know, no grocery stores, anything like that. So he, he, I think he employs probably half the people in that area. Right. To, right. You know, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's, that's hard to keep uh, somebody permanently down there, but yeah. I have heard there's like a ton of, you know, retired PhDs that live down there. So I'm surprised. Is that where retired yeah. PhDs go? That, that were, that are into reptiles yeah, or yeah, birds yeah. or whatever. Well, you know. I mean, I great makes, spot to live. Yeah, it makes you, you sense know. to me. Well, yeah. you know, and it's funny to my, uh, my mom and all of my aunts and uncles, they love the Anza Borrego desert. Cause mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's just older people like those warm, dry, yeah. you know, kind yeah. of desert climates. Uh, um, yeah. and, and so they're all, you know, I'm like, mom, why don't you, why don't you try Palm Springs? You know, there's shopping. It's, oh no, no, no. They yeah. just, they, and I'm, so, which is cool with me. I love, I love the Anza Borrego desert. So I'm, you know, 
I, I, I like going down there, but uh, yeah. I just think it's I, I just think it's funny. It's funny that you you say that 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 uh, retired PhDs go out, uh, to the Arizona <laughs> desert, and it's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. It's so. kind of like a convergence of a couple different desert systems, so you get a lot of variety in a small area. Yeah, um, we were you know looking for montane rattlesnake species one day, and then the next day we're looking for Gila monsters and you know tortoises and stuff like that, and you know just a you know, half, half an hour up the road. Yeah. Um, clear, it, clear, clearly more going on than with my, with my mom and my aunts and uncles. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Definitely. And <laughs> after we left, uh, Bob's place, we drove up the road towards a, you know, the, the more lower desert stuff and saw, a freshly hit, uh, Mexican hog nose on the, ro- uh, on the road. It was such a bummer. I was yeah. so, I was so disappointed that that was my first time seeing that species in the wild. That had to be that way, you know, just barely clipped on the face. So I was pretty sad about that. And yeah, I think everybody uh, got sick of me being sad about that. Yeah. <laughs> it stuck with we're, me for a while. <laughs> I hate seeing DORs. It's yeah. not fun. So anyway, we um, had a nice time there, but like I said, there's a cold front coming through. So other than that one r- really good night of herping and a few uh, DORs during the day and then a couple um, scoloporus uh, that were pretty uh, amazing looking animals. Uh, not much else, you know, going on yeah. there. It was a little slow other than the bird and mammal life. We saw like right. uh, the javelina, the um, a coati that was cool. They're they're pretty interesting mammals. And there was one just like sitting in the tree. Owen looks over. He's like, "There's a coati in the tree," <laughs> and he had some some negative interactions with them when he was during his zoo career. And so did he. Uh, he, he gave them a wide berth. <laughs> and then you know they were like every night you'd see skunks cruising around. They'd be hanging out in on the property. So a lot of cool animals in the area. Um, so. Yeah, the bird varieties were really cool too. Um, didn't see any trogons. That's kind of one of the major draws down there is the elegant trogon, which is a kind of more of a tropical bird, but it makes its way up into that part of Arizona, mm-hmm. New Mexico. So then we uh, headed over to the Huachuca Mountains primarily, and we were we stayed at an, an another Airbnb kind of north of the uh, Huachucas and spent the rest of the week there. So nice. yeah, very cool. Yeah. Found some uh, horn lizards, great basin or uh, not a great basin, but a snoring gopher snake. Um, the, the horn lizards were the greater short horn lizards, uh, Hernandez I, cool. and then the two species of rattlesnake. And yeah, it was not bad. Not yeah, bad. Yeah. Especially for, you know, the weather conditions. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty cool. So. And it sounds like a fun time was had by all. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and coined were, some new terms. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and you were driving, so you couldn't complain. You couldn't yep, complain exactly. about the driving issues. And I stopped pretty yours. quickly, yep. and I, yep. you know, diverted traffic around me so they wouldn't did, hit the snake. Did on anybody the road. <laughs> else complain about your driving? I don't think so. Oh, Keith was very nervous when we were driving up mountain passes and on dirt roads that had, you know, a steep drop off right you know on the edge has and, hadn't quite yeah. gotten gotten <laughs> comfortable with the justin justin well i don't think it matter was who was driving it, it, it he was just uncomfortable you. on those roads because these are you. like windy steep yeah. bumpy you know rocky yep. road dirt roads certain de- certain death on yeah, the other yeah. side of the guardrail I <laughs> exactly got you. so yeah, yeah. i can't say that i was <clears throat> completely innocent of driving a little closer to the edge just to <laughs> just to mess with it uh, a little bit you gotta you gotta let him know he's alive you know sure 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 <laughs> but that sure. was uh, i mean that was really cool because i mean keith just come you know he had a, a battle with cancer and, yep. and he beat it so um it was great that he's out there you know keeping up with us and you know or exceeding our our pace in yeah. some instances like he 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 was not slowing us down that's for sure that's know, awesome so that was cool that's awesome um great to great to herp with him yeah. Um, but I, uh, you know, yeah, it's hard to encompass a trip, you know, but for sure. Some pretty funny things. We, we coined the term Smitty tears to rate trails because he had such a rough time in West Texas on some of those trails. So <laughs> we gave a Smitty tears rating. I, oh my God. A, is it, is it, what is it just like a one through five or is that get much, like yeah. a five Smitty oh, tears? You, you go or? from like, yeah, tears or, or buckets of tears if it's a really bad one, but uh, smitty groans if it's not so bad oh 
Oh, I got you. Uh, oh, we okay. had a good I laugh on, yeah. on his expense there. But, yeah. All right. <laughs> um, That's pretty funny. I, I, I have yet to hear That's his feedback funny. on that one, but we'll see what he what he has to say. But um, yeah, always good. I mean, I think Keith and Keith and Tom were um, maybe getting a little sick. Of, I know Keith said I need to binge the Simpsons so I can understand half the conversation because Rob and Owen ah, and myself are big into the Simpsons. So I think your howdly doodly, uh, was well received here. It was well receivedly. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun as usual. I diddly so. do my best, man. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, it was a, it was a great trip. Cool. All right, enough, uh, enough. Yeah, no, no more reminiscing. Out. Yeah, let's get on to topic at hand. What do you say? Okie dokie. Sure, sure, sure. All right, so today we're going to talk about the um, the ethics or the pros and cons of switching animals over from a natural diet that they would eat in the wild to, you know, an maybe unnatural, you know, lab rodent diet or, um, prepared food diet, those kind of things. Um, so, uh, we'll, we'll discuss both sides of that topic. So, um, are you, are you going to call it this time or do you want me to know, call my own? It doesn't matter. No, I don't care. I mean, I just wanted to see what would happen if you I'm had just saying we could save a lot of time and just choice. give it to me, you know? Yeah, see, exactly. <laughs> All right. Exactly. Okay, well, you, go ahead and call this one. I'll All right. Flip. It's tails. <laughs> it is heads, my friend. I, I, I hate oh, your man. quarter. I, I, I hate your quarter. I, I just am astounded. Like, it would be funny. I mean, it wouldn't be as funny if I was, like, cheating, but it's funny because it's legit every time. Like, you're like Ashley. She's always calling the wrong gender on all my snakes. Like, anytime she says, like, oh, that he looks good, I'm like, Ashley, it's a female. <laughs> so you've got the uh, Ashley look, I guess. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm going to take the pro side i guess of unnatural diets for, okay for captive reptiles all right so sure you, uh you can take the um defend the using a more natural diet i guess sure but, uh, okay all right well um, i'm gonna go ahead and defer to my good friend chuck to that's fine have the opening statement that's here. fine all right so <laughs> i mean obviously you know uh, any animal kind of evolves, uh, to, to, to eat a, a diet that is, um, you know, native to where they're at. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 you, you certainly can find geckos that, uh, in different areas that will eat different diets. Right. Um, so, you know, in, in, and over time, those animals will, um, you know, they'll, they'll grow, uh, they will create a complex diet so that they get all of their nutritional needs. Uh, and they may not necessarily get it all from one place. And so, you know, I think that the, 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 the difficulty in, um, you know, giving an, uh, a captive, you know, bred animal or a captive born animal or a captive animal, uh, a non-natural diet is that you're kind of directing them to eat something that they're not used to eating one. So it's going to be difficult. You're going to have a potentially have a hard time, um, you know, getting them to accept that food. And Mm -hmm. you, you don't really know what the, what the, you know, what the, um, always what the makeup of their diet is and, and how, um, that would look as, as far as a nutrient profile for that animal. So we, you know, we, you know, feeding, um, let's say rodents, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we know what that nutrient profile looks like. And so I think as we feed those animals, you know, we could be doing all kinds of, you know, they'll, they'll still eat, uh, they may eat it, but they, you know, we may be, creating a diet which grossly throws their nutritional their normal nutritional intake out of whack 
Uh, so mm-hmm. I think that's probably the big, you know, the overarching for me of w- w- like why you would want to try to replicate a, um, you know, a, a, a natural, a more natural diet. If you could, if you knew, you know, how complex or what that diet consisted of. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see. That. I mean, animals evolved to to fill different nippers or niches. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. so yeah. we, <laughs> um, I, I, I was watching a nature documentary once and they had like talking about, you know, animals that had adapted to, to feed on different, uh, f- food sources. And they were talking about, you know, flowers and different animals that had co-evolved with the flower to, um, eat, you know, the nectar from that specific Mm -hmm. flower. And there was this weird flower somewhere out in the jungle of New Guinea or something. I can't remember where it was, but they had this, uh, it had a really super long, um, tunnel, basically the flower part to get to the nectar. And so they said, well, um, if this flower has evolved this way, there's probably something that has co-evolved to feed specifically Mm -hmm. from that flower. And so they set up cameras and they waited and waited and waited trying to figure out what the animal was that was going to feed from the flower. You know, was it going to be a small insect that could crawl inside and get the nectar and then, you know, get the help pollinate the pollinate pollinate on its way out or whatever. So all of a sudden this moth comes rolling up and it's got this super long tongue that it unrolls, you know, and sticks into the flower. And so this moth had developed uh, mouth parts that were long enough to reach to the, to the nectar and, you know, feed from the flower. So I definitely would agree that, yeah, animals specifically evolved to take different food sources. Now, I guess the question is, um, is it, is it the competition that drives that? So say if, if other food sources were easier to, you know, there was less competition for that nectar and that was the, you know, that was the only moth is the only game in town, you know, just for argument's sake, would it continue to maintain that long giant tongue if there wasn't a reason, if there wasn't that competition? When we take something into captivity, we're taking away its competition. We're giving it an easy meal, you know. So even though something might evolve to feed on a specific prey item, um, as long as we can kind of meet their nutritional demands and give them something that's not going to be unhealthy, I think there's no real reason not to feed it you know, something unnatural. I mean, we're putting it in an, in an unnatural state. We're altering most likely the, the gut flora, you know, and that may aid and help in digesting that specific prey item. When we breed them in captivity, we may, we're, we're selecting for them, you know, who they're going to breed with and, you know, that kind of thing. So we're kind of taking the nature out of the animal to some extent when we breed it in captivity and somewhat semi-domesticate it. So mm-hmm. I would argue that, you know, once we take it out of the wild, you know, that kind of, um, and we, we select what it's eating, we've kind of gotten past that maybe requirement or, or need for a more natural diet. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that that's, I mean, we do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we, <laughs> you know, we, we got animals that are uh, alive and don't, you know, necessarily eat the prey source that we're feeding them in the wild. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think there's been, you know, studies about, you know, gut flora, at least in humans, uh, that, and, and some of the findings were almost, um, so, so groundbreaking towards, you know, your gut flora having impacts on disease, um, and, 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 and overall human health. So, you know, not to anthropomorphize and say that all, all, you know, fauna, uh, behaves that way, but, you know, we, we develop similar systems. Our digestive system is, comes from earlier animals, you know, so, so there is reason to say that, um, you know, that, that, that may work in other animals the way it works in us. 
Um, and, mm. and so, you know, well, yes, you're right. We can feed um, different prey sources and potentially meet those, um, you know, those dietary requirements. But what does, you know, ultimately what does changing that, that microbial comp, uh, you know, composition, what does that do? And I think that, I think, you know, to the bigger point I'm making is we really don't know. We don't know uh, a lot of times what a complete uh, diet looks like for a lot of animals in the wild. So it's, we don't even have a complete picture of what they naturally eat, much less how to support, you know, if we, if we could say, okay, you know, this is this, this, this sphere is what comprises X animals diet. And this sphere is what we feed them in their, you know, in, in their native and I, in their native habitat or in their captive habitats, you know, and, mm-hmm. and here's why they're comparable. And I, I think we do that at some level. I think you can yeah. look at, you can look at geckos and you can look at, you know, the way we use powder diets and things like that to, to kind of, you know, figure out what the nutrient profiles need to be and what the things they need and, and they'll eat them. And, and, you know, we know how to supplement some of that stuff and and do that in a way that's, that's relatively close, but I don't, I don't think that you can point to, to one, like, uh, like, uh, you know, gecko species that we know a lot about and say all, um, I think, you know, there's definitely, uh, areas where we're making best guesses. And I, and I think that, you know, I, I, I do think that p- potentially some of the problems that we have, uh, around why some animals don't do well in captivity could very well be dietarily based. I mean, maybe they'll eat what we feed them because they don't want to die, mm-hmm. but maybe, <laughs> you know, the secondary outcome of that is, de- is, de- you know, deteriorate, de- Oh my God, I can't speak today is is detrimental (laughs) to them, you know? Um, Uh Well, um, you know, I, I, I really got fascinated by the gut microflora stuff. We were doing a a project with applying for a big program grant, you know, which is a huge, um, conglomerations of different scientists in different areas looking at, you know, one factor on different aspects of, of that, you know, and how the gut microflora, um, yeah, contribute to that or whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, so, you know, I, uh, but I question, you know, once we take it out of capti- out of the wild, how are they getting access to that natural gut flora? I mean, we're not importing soil or food items or wild, you know, snake or lizard poop to allow the juveniles, you know, a lot of juveniles will eat the feces of their, of, of adults of their species Mm -hmm. to get those gut microflora. But once you've brought something and and we've seen this in people. So I, I, and I do agree that, you know, you can kind of make those parallels with other, other animal species. Um, but once you alter the diet, you do alter that. And so if you're going to take something out of the wild, there's no real way around disrupting that balance or that gut microflora. And yes, it could contribute to negative effects. Um, but you know, a lot of changes are often neutral, right? As long as you've got beneficial flora, they may not necessarily care if it's the correct bacteria that they have in the wild, or if it's just something similar that plays the same role, um, in that, um, gut, you know, in their gut contents. So, um, while, you know, I, you know, it, it might be helpful to have the, the actual, you know, gut components and thing. I just don't think that's realistic to maintain. So you Um, don't think, I mean, you don't think like, so, so, I mean, just to go back, like you, mm -hmm. you talked about basically the, the flora and fauna interplay between form and function, uh, Mm -hmm. of, of reproduction and, and food between plants and animals, which happens, you know, um, you know, uh, through a form of coevolution, right? But mm-hmm. but yet the 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 gut the gut microbe and the and then the food content would be com- com- are completely disconnected from each other. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't yeah. it it almost doesn't play w- like it doesn't make sense that 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 
the, the habitat that, that they need to live or, or, or that they co-evolve with that they're highly coupled to and, and the, the food sources that they get, which help dictate the, the, the microbial content of their gut have, you know, are decoupled from each other. Like, I don't, I, I guess I, that's hard for me to put my head mm-hmm. around and say that, that there is, and, and, you know, look, I'm not saying there that, that, that you, you, you can't be, you can't possibly be right with this, but, but to say like, all right, you can take something and put it wherever it does not matter that it's, it's situation or it's food intake, as long as it meets some basic needs and no matter how it changes that, that, that gut microbial content there, there will be no, it, it should there. Why would there be anything bad that happens? And I, I just don't know if there's a, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know that, that we could say that one way or another. I don't, I don't think I'm saying that necessarily. I, I'm saying that if you take it out of the wild and you remove it from its natural environment and you remove it from those sources of, of flora and fauna in its, in its natural environment, you are altering it just by removing it from there because you're putting it in a different environment and the bacterial, you know, flora and fauna around their, their, their new environment which is most likely severely diminished compared to a wild, you know, because people are cleaning their cages and, you know, they don't have dirt in the cages. You know, they might have shavings or newspaper or something that don't have those beneficial, you know, bacteria. And plus it's, you know, different environment anyway. So if you got dirt from outside, you're not, it's not the same dirt. You know, if you're animals from Australia, it's not the same dirt as in Australia and it's not the same microbiome that's in Australia. So once you take it out of the wild, you're, you're altering that anyway. And so, and also the, the, yeah. And the food also drives the microflora. And we've shown that, you know, if, if, uh, animals switch diet, they'll switch gut microflora and that can have, you know, it, it's and, not, and I think, I think that like was more, good I think that's bad, the more the direction know? I was driving at. Yeah. Yeah. And so, well, I mean, know, is it, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't, I mean, you have a lot of different profiles in humans, right? And, and here's sure. an example, right? So just using humans as an example, if you have a high fatty Western diet, you know, you might get some gut microflora that contribute to, um, different, uh, health issues, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, you know, that's been demonstrated in people. But then if you have like a high fiber plant diet, you can also get different bacteria colonizing your gut that contribute to inflammation. So you might think, oh, I'm eating healthy. I'm eating an all plant diet or something. I don't eat meat or I don't eat this or that. But, you know, maybe those bacteria that you're promoting are actually going to contribute to an inflammatory state within your or, gut. Or you know? it's or it's the percentage of one type that you're eating. I think the problem that and, and at the root of that, what you're talking about is a, is a, you know, a high protein meat diet and all high t- protein meat diet leads to inflammation, just like a, a high, you know, a high, um, you know, plant uh, low, you know, so it's, 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 it's that lack of variety, which kind of takes me back to the whole idea of having, um, a a more complex, um, you know, dietary, um, makeup. Uh, and, and so, you know, when we do take animals out and, and it's not to say that some, that some people don't, uh, do a more complex diet for their, their captive animals. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly that that's the case, but I would say by and large, you know, people are not replicating the variety that some of these animals, uh, feed on in, in, in sure. their, in the wild. Right. So, yeah. um, that's where, that, that's kind of where I would draw the concern and say, it, you know, it, maybe, it, maybe things are lacking that way. Yeah. It is the variety and necessity though. I guess that's the thing is unless you're, you know, you're, eating all baby rodents, which are high in fat. So you're going to increase the fat content. I can see that having a negative effect on an animal, but you know, if you're, if you're feeding like 10 different rodent species, is it really better than feeding 
uh, you know, a single rodent species. I don't, I don't know if it, if it's going to make that much of a difference. Well, functionally. Uh, or, or if you're eating birds or you're, I mean, I, I think, or if you're even possibly taking other reptiles or, or, or mm-hmm. maybe some amphibians, I think, I think in those cases, you know, the difference between other reptiles and fowl and, and, and amphibians, the, that could be a, that could be a fairly you know, significant or relevant difference. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're trying to force something that's used to eating, you know, vegetables, you know, a vegetarian right. well, reptile I'm- and you're trying to feed them mice, then yeah, maybe. But, but at the same token, like, I think we have it in our minds that, you know, tortoises are always vegetarian. I was listening to Ryan DeMoss on a, on a, a different podcast and he was on our show a while back. Mm-hmm. Really cool guy. But yep. he was talking about the, their, tortoises like the Galapagos tortoises will be raised up and if something goes under them for shade like a bird or something they'll drop down and crush Squish it him. and then they'll <laughs> then they'll eat the bird you know and you don't yeah. think of tortoises as eating or, or needing to eat a bird but in the wild they probably do that all the time you know sure. they're pr- and and a lot of tortoises are, are have been found to be you know almost omnivorous where they're eating right. A and, lot and, of carrion or or animals, you know, you know, worms and stuff like that. So and that goes you know, to my and that goes to my point about having a, a varied diet where you know uh, eating too much of one thing, you know, you think of tortoises as as a highly you know vegetarian. They're vegan, you know, uh, yeah. And that's just not the mm-hmm. case. That's not yeah. that's not what a well balanced diet for them looks like. Just like you know, in humans who all eat meat or all eat a plant-based diet because, you know, I, I, I think, you know, um, I, I guess the point of rounded diet is, is, and, and I guess my question around that is, 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 is uh, do unnatural diets for, from what an animal might have as a, as a natural, you know, uh, wild diet, uh, does that lead to an incomplete or, or, or not enough of a varied diet in, in some cases. And, and, and I think the answer in some cases is yes. In other cases, the answer is absolutely not. But in those cases that it does, I think there can be some significant issue, uh, you know, probably not in the short term, but maybe over the longevity of the long term, right? Yeah, Sorry, I, I, was I guess windy. No, <laughs> uh, if you just give me a chance to respond here, buddy. <laughs> I know. See, that's what I was doing. I, I saw you. You're, you're rolling your eyes. You're like, oh, my gosh, this guy, Come this guy. On. <laughs> Cut it off, buddy. Can I get a word in here edgewise, huh? <laughs> yeah, we need a moderator. No. <laughs> yeah. Save us from ourselves. <laughs> I, I guess my, my point isn't necessarily that, you know, a varied versus a, a you know, varied versus a monotypic diet, but more so uh, a wild or natural diet versus a a diet that we can provide in captivity because they might okay. be eating, you know, a Norwegian rat in the wild because they're everywhere. Right. You right. know, they might eat one of those. And, and if we're feeding Norwegian rats in captivity, then, you know, we're, we're approximating some of their, some of the natural species they might eat, but more, more, I guess, to, to the argument, um, if you give a very diet of, you know, tilapia that's easily accessible to, to the normal person or chicken, you know, that's, or quail that are easily accessible or, you know, earthworms or whatever, you know, you're varying the diet, but it's with stuff that's commercially available. Sure. that's commercially raised, you know, that I think for the most part, you're not going to see much of a difference between those dietary items and a natural dietary item necessarily. I mean, it's like energy in energy out kind of. Yeah. uh, I think if you're, if you're talking, if you're talking prey source, apples and apples, oranges and oranges, yes, you're, you're probably right. You're probably Mm -hmm. right. I mean, and and if you're trying to replicate a wild diet, you're going to spend a lot of energy money, you know? Well, and I think, I think it's unreasonable. And I think that's why, you know, it's almost, it, 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 Uh, uh, when you get into kind of what you're talking about, it's almost a moot point because we can't Mm -hmm. go in and replicate the, the wild diets of most of this stuff that we have because we just do not have access to those animals at that level. Right. So, and I I think the the best example of that is probably the, the hognose, you know, Western Mm -hmm. hognose snakes. You've got animals that come out of the egg and they're, they accept a, you know, a, a pinky mouse, 
right out of the gate. You don't even have to scent it anymore. So obviously they're, they're changing or adapting to some extent from the wild counterparts that come out heavily genetically programmed to seek toads. You know, that's their food item. And, and it's not to say that in the wild, they don't find a mouse or something and, and go after it or try to eat it or, or, you know, try to eat something else. But, you know, in captivity, we're not trying to source toads to feed our, our, uh, Western hog noses at, at best, we might get toad scent and rub it on a, you know, a, a mouse. Now, you know, those have been captive bred and, you know, multiple generations. And like I said, they're somewhat domesticated now. So I, I'm, I'm not seeing, you know, a downside of, of trying to replicate a natural, you know, prey item for those. Okay. <laughs> so that, that would be a, a major, I guess, argument in favor of, yeah. You know, uh, well, I mean, yeah. And and it's like I said, it's kind of stupid because we're not going to really try to do it anyway. Right. So we're, you know, it's like I can argue, I can look, is it always going to be better to, to replicate a natural diet for something that it's, that's, you know, is it, is it going to be easier to get it feeding? Is it going to get, you know, it's, it, it's nutritional uh, makeup that it needs because of the very diet. Yes, yes, yes. Is it reasonable and will it happen? No. So it's, I mean, it's, it, you know, um, I, I can still be right, but irrelevant in the argument, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a very, very true point that <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's certain snakes that specialize on blind snakes, you know, are you going to get a, a colony yeah. and breed blind snakes just so you can keep that species? Probably not, but like maybe you would literally have another, you would have around. a whole other business. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you would literally have a whole other business around selling, you know, these whatever to feed your <laughs> yeah. whatever, right? Exactly. Like it, you, you, yeah. you could, I mean, you would literally have to be the person who, you know, I breed these and then I mm -hmm. sell these so that you can feed your whatever, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of a, I mean, kind of an interesting strategy, but, but, mm -hmm. but a little unreasonable too, at the same time. Um, yeah. And I, I think part of the, industry you know the herpeticultural industry is based around that principle where you know you've got uh alan rapashi who goes out and invents all these different diets and tries to approximate you know what they might receive in nature in his diets and uh you know through that effort he made it so they're easily kept easily produced and now, I mean, like we saw at NAR, or not NARBC, at the Super Show in, in uh, Anaheim. Super Show. Yeah, there were oh, so you still call many. It NARBC. I, know, I know. It's hard to <laughs> get over that. <laughs> I but know. I, I, I mean, you, how NARBC. many tables had had crested geckos or, you know, the, yeah. all the different uh, New Caledonian geckos? Like, it's almost becoming like the next ball python in lizard form, you know? Sure. And so I think that uh, adaptation of trying to replicate, uh, you know, somewhat natural diet, but make it a commercially available, easily produced diet, and maybe not using the same things they would eat in nature, but similar things that provide similar nutrition has, has worked out very well in, in a lot of ways for mm -hmm. both you know, Alan and his diets, sure. as well as people who are wanting to keep those species because they are really cool species, you know? So yep. it's nice that, that we have that support and we have a non-natural diet that can support these animals. Uh, I, I think, and you know, if you look at it as a, and I, hopefully I think people, I mean, at least I think dietarily in a layered kind of approach. Um, and, and, you know, especially with geckos that the, that, you know, that powdered diet is a nice base to work from. And I mean, you know, obviously like we talked to the one, um, oh man, I don't remember who it was. It was, it was on our, it was on the super show, uh, mm -hmm. live one we did where somebody was saying basically, um, you know, like they're great like geckos. I think it was just geckos. They were great because, you know, you can feed them, uh, you know, an insect diet, or if you don't like insects, you can feed them, you know, yeah. a, a powder diet and, and they're, mm -hmm. too, they, they're too, you know, they, they have two food bases, which, you know, I, I tend to think a little differently. I tend to think that, you know, that, that, 
that powder diet or, 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 or um, is is kind of a base diet, and then you can add on top of that to get variety and and uh, sure. and and work you know work it around. But but certainly, I mean, it, what an what an amazing tool. Um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's, that's, and I think some of that comes out of the science and technology that we employ around, you know, being scientific humans and, and studying yeah. animals and, and figuring out some of these dietary requirements and, and, and figuring out like, all right, can, you know, can we do this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We can. And, and mm-hmm. that's a powerful piece of technology. And, and to your point, it, it works, um, yeah. you know, but I think you do have to be careful, um, because you you need to pay attention and you know one of the one of the things that um that frank Payne will always say is is that it, he he attributes a lot of his reproductive success long term uh it is how he supports how he feeds his feeders and how mm-hmm. he supports his animals and the diets that he uses um as to why he has prolonged long-term reproductive success with his animals. And I think that's absolutely a hundred percent right. It is you're not gonna, and, and, you know, you're not gonna just feed a, you know, powder diet to, to geckos and expect them to, you know, breed like, you know, forever and ever and ever and never need that. It's, 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 you know, you need to probably do more than that. And I'm, I'm, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not trying to speak unequivocally because I'm sure there's somebody out there who's like, I've done it and that's fine. And (laughs) yeah, you know, um, sure. But, but but, but, to his point, right. Yeah. And you know, he's not using necessarily now he's using commercially available insects but he's maybe gut loading them he's sure he's concerned with nutrition and things absolutely and I, I mean to your to your point um you know we need to understand their natural history because i imagine some of these geckos are are heavy insect feeders at some points of the year and other sure. points of the year they're licking sap or or you know flowers or whatever so you know we need to be aware of the animal's natural history what yes, they 100%. typically eat in the wild and if you you know if you don't know that it makes it very difficult to i think be successful with a lot of these species so to your to your point we need to understand what they eat in the wild yeah and to, and, to, and it's, it's yeah it's a heavily heavily multifaceted thing because it's yeah like like you said you know it's not it's not just what they're eating it's what they're eating is eating and eating it's a it's a you know it's a food web so you know how yeah. that food web is fed has a lot to do with you know and and, and it, it's easy for us to boil stuff down Um, and, and, you know, when you get high enough on a food web, you know, a lot of the, 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 the not great stuff that are in animals that you eat, uh, you know, bio we're, you know, as, as apex predators, we're bio, you know, we eat bioaccumulators. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we're as, as humans, like we are, you know, stand the, um, the worst chance of, of eating just bad stuff because we eat so yeah. high on the food chain. Right. So the, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of that, that, that play at work when you're, when you're kind of talking about this stuff. So it's, I, you know, I, I do agree with you, um, that, that, that you can, you know, you definitely can make that pivot and, and, and keep healthy animals. And, but, but it, but it is highly complex. And like you said, it, it you know, the way it may work from, you know, season to season with what these, uh, an- what animals are feeding on their, their diet might, might change, you know, and, and yeah. so might the target species that you're talking about. So, um, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot to kind of take into account. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and also, you know, in nature, uh, things are rough. Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, bioaccumulators, you know, we almost lost condors because they were eating things that were eating things that were eating things that were bad, you know, and they were accumulating those uh, toxins or whatnot. Same with eagles and, you know, any, any, you know, meat eaters at the top of the food chain. Raptors, raptors specifically. uh, Yeah. And so, you know, we, we definitely wouldn't want to replicate something like that, you know, that happens in nature uh, as, as a result of human interference and human manipulation. And, and, and yeah. I think, I mean, I, I do think, you know, um, to, to, to your point, you know, in a captive setting, when we're controlling what we're feeding to our feeders, 
um, that that helps control some of that that natural bioaccumulation that that can happen. Um, but obviously, like you have to understand what's going into those food sources and 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 what they're comprised of. Like the uh, yeah. you know, like the uh, the 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 friend you had that was feeding his skinks. Oh, yeah. uh, the dog, dog food. The, the the bad dog mm-hmm. food. I mean, how would he know? And and, and it's yeah. not you know, if you feed it to dogs, it's not at a level that it's you know. Um, you know, lethal to, to a dog, horrible mm-hmm. that you're feeding that, but like you would never find out <laughs> that you you're feeding know. your dog, other dogs, unless you killed your skinks with it. Like, so yeah. it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's a dirty game, folks. Yeah, it's a dirty yeah. game. You know, you got to be careful out there. It's rough <laughs> in the streets. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think um, we we do our best to avoid that. And I guess the other side of it, you know, in, in nature, they're getting parasites. They're getting, you know, ticks. For they're sure. getting different yep. things like that. And, and you know, that's all uh, can be a negative impact on the animals or it could be a neutral impact. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. a lot, most wild reptiles probably have some sort of parasite or you know, something that's living in harmony with their natural balance. And it's not till they're um, stressed or, or something that, you know, negative effects occur from that. So, you know, it's hard to, to say what's, what's critical and what's not critical, you know, uh, how things interact. I don't think we know enough to, to really, you know, comment on yeah. <laughs> all those kind of things, you know, the bio, I, 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 th- I think we make, micro- I think bio. we know enough to make it look like we know what we're doing, yeah. <laughs> but we don't understand yeah. not, at, yeah. at a, at a, at a complete level, at a, at a, at a whole picture level, we, we're nowhere close. We, yeah. we and know, it's, we know nothing. You know? It's hard too, because like a lot of like myself, you know, I go up to iron range to try to find a green tree Python. Cause I'm interested in those and I want to see, you know, what they're doing in the wild, that kind of thing, you know, I'll see them in the wild. Um, but I'm only going when it's accessible to, to drive there, you know, during, <laughs> during the end of the dry season or, you know, bef- during the wet season, you almost have to take a boat or a plane to get there. And right. so it's very, um, you're not seeing the whole picture. You're seeing yep. a snapshot, you know? Yeah. And so unless you're in their environment or if there's a, you know, a scientist that's doing a study on them and looking at their dietary components over, over time, you're not going to have a complete understanding of their dietary preferences, you know? Yeah. And that stuff might be out there. You know, somebody might've published a paper back in 1982 and, you know, you just, didn't know it existed. <laughs> so, you know, that makes it tricky too, is, is accessing yeah. the, the scientific literature and finding those works. I'm still finding, you know, papers that I missed previously. Um, I, I just found one today on, you know, pythons in Western Australia and it talked, you know, there, it was kind of old. I think it was listing, uh, you know, just different, different names for, for things. Uh, yeah, older, anyway, older, yeah, a little yeah, outdated yeah. in some ways, but in other ways, you know, it's very, very helpful. But, you know, I, I, I've intensively searched for papers on Morelia pythons, you know, and so sure. it's interesting to find one that I missed that was published a while back. So, yeah. you know, it's it's hard to get all the information that's necessary to 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 know what we don't know or, yeah. you know, but it's well, and, also and, good and, to and, ask and, questions. And in that deep well of information that we have, we still haven't really scratched the surface yeah. Uh, yeah. of, of finding how deep the well is, you know? Yeah, um, so, sure. I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, what, I, what happens if you include, you know, a bird occasionally in the Galapagos tortoise diet, you know, yeah, are they, yeah. is that going to help them or, you know, and then you get to the point, are you feeding too many birds and you're, you're right. impacting them negatively? Cause they, they did find a lot of the early diets where they were feeding them green leafy vegetables was, was, you know, not healthy for Galapagos tortoises yeah. and they, they had shell deformities and they, did all, you know, they did not fare well, but it was hard because it, you know, they, they mature very slowly, they grow very slowly. Um, and so it wasn't, you know, until it was very apparent, the, the negative the, effects yeah, and, the, and then set in yeah how to reverse that or work that out, that might not be possible to reverse yeah. it. And so they have, you know, have to build some wheels or something for the tortoise to wheel around on, you know, so it's kind of, we, we do, um, make a lot of mistakes in what mm-hmm. we're doing. And, and I think that's kind of how, 
you know, sometimes you have to make mistakes to know what you don't know. You know, well, oh, I'm a, we don't need to do that next time. Let's fix I'm a, that. I'm a good gardener because I killed a lot of plants to get there. You yeah. Know what I right. Mean? That's, I yeah. mean, I, it, and, and, and gosh, man, you never, you never want to say that. And, and, you yeah. know, um, but, but it's true. I mean, I, I, I don't know any reptile keeper who's never had an animal die on them because yeah. of, or has know, never made a mistake. Mis- a mistake made. that, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. So, and, and hopefully those mistakes are your best teaching tools because something had to, you know, suffer, uh, you know, because of it. And it's, you know, it's not a great, it's not a, a great thing to talk about, but it's a reality, you know what I mean? And And, and I think a lot of times we tell ourselves, well, hopefully if I've learned something from it, it wasn't in vain. Or, you know, a lot of times we try to make ourselves feel better by saying, well, in the wild, you know, they probably would have been eaten by something a long time ago and died a miserable, horrible, violent death at the hands of a butcher bird or something, you know? Right. Well, and I mean, it's, I mean, but, I mean, yeah. isn't that true? Yeah, it is. It I, I, is. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and, and not, you know, not to, not to say that, that it, it there is just a let place. it happen, happen yeah, willy there, nilly. Yeah. yeah the, 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 not to say that there isn't a place for not making that excuse, but yeah. that is a reality that, mm-hmm. you know, nature is far, far less forgiving than we are uh, yeah. in cap and captivity. So, and bringing, bringing it back to topic is, you know, when we yeah. when were able to keep these animals in, in, in a captive environment, we can provide them, you know, different food sources. And Mm -hmm. maybe we don't have the exact thing they co-evolved to eat, but we have something similar that can fill the same role and and give them the nutrients and the protein and whatever they need to grow and develop properly. But we, you know, that's not to say once you find something that works, you've got it all figured out and it's good to be intellectually curious, you know, keep, Mm -hmm. keep digging, keep looking, keep figuring things out because, you know, there's, there's important things to, to be found. So I don't know. I, I think, uh, I, I don't know if I have any other, uh, hard hitting (laughs) topics or, or points to this argument, but I I I do think, you know, I, I would, I would summarize with, you know, we, we need to do what we need to do in captivity. Yeah. You know, but, I, I, I did I the best I we, could with a yeah, point. Yeah. You, know? you got the, you got the shirt. <laughs> in the stick. You gotta, you gotta win a coin flip. Once Listen, a man, I, I <laughs> yeah. don't know, I, but you know, know, as long as you stay intellectually curious and you're trying to improve the way you're keeping your animals or, or finding better methods, I think you're on the right track. Yeah. 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 So I, uh, I, I remember, uh, who was it? Maybe Harlan Wall was. Oh, I thought about... you were going to say Bert Langworth, but no, <laughs> I always was... feel like that's a safe bet for me to throw out there. It's like, no, it was yeah. Bert Langworth. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Harlan was talking about uh, giving probiotics, you know, yeah. and he was like using these commercially available product probiotics to, and I'm think, but he was talking about how, oh, the, you know, the, the soil that we give them in their environment doesn't have the proper bacteria. But then I'm like, well, you're giving them probiotics that don't, that aren't the bacteria that they're experiencing or getting in the wild, yeah. you know? So if, if probiotics are, are a good thing, then, you know, and, and they replace that need for the natural flora that they're getting in their natural soil, then what are you worried about their cage environment as much for? So I, I just thought that was kind of incongruous, but it was kind of funny. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we, we uh, have a very limited understanding about a lot of these things and, and sure. it would be good to build that experience or to, I don't know what the answer is. Cause it's really hard to get funding to study reptiles in the wild. For sure. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, it's but more and, power and, to and, those people seeking that, and, you know, and, and you know, it, it's often why we end up talking about the way things are in relation to humans, because that's where the money goes to is, is studying human disease or, yeah. you know, human advent a- advantage, uh, in some technology. So, you know, yeah. not, and, and, and sometimes, you know, that's all you can do is proxy something that you've read that they proved in humans to say like, well, like I said, you know, animals evolve, you know, uh, their, their, you know, their evolutionary, um, history, you know, we're, we're, we're towards the end of that. Right. So, you know, the things that, 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 that the, the, 
you know, the organs, the, the, the functions, the forms that they, uh, evolved are in us as well. So, yeah, uh, I mean, that's about as close yeah. as we can get sometimes. And, you know, I, I think for a lot of human disease, like that's my job is to model yeah. human disease in different systems. And, and a lot of time, you know, a mouse is not a human. Yeah. And so a lot of times you get something that works in a mouse that does not work in a human and vice yeah. versa. So you've got to keep that in mind that, you know, mm-hmm. just because it's happens here doesn't necessarily mean it happens there, but some Sometimes it can, and and it can model it appropriately. So tricky, uh, complex things, but uh, definitely worth a a thought. So hopefully we've gotten some uh, good topics to to mill around in your brain, and and hopefully uh, we can all work together to increase our knowledge and figure out more about these cool reptiles that we all like. So. Yep. Any any other things you want to bring up, or have we had a decent fight? This has been a decent uh, fight. A, a, a Maybe I don't know. The, here. Let other people judge. <laughs> yeah. <but> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, as always, if you have any topics, or uh, you know, we've gotten some great feedback, and we we've have we have some fun guests lined up uh, here soon that uh, have thrown down the gauntlet and challenged yeah. us to a fight. You know, we're happy to have have anybody on to come and come and fight with us yeah so where is don't he? hesitate it, to he hasn't to, responded yet huh not yet well all right one, one of our guests will be he was talking smack. he was talking yeah. some smack man and i thought <laughs> yeah. it was gonna go down and it's gonna uh, be a good one it, it'll go but, down it'll go right. down eventually all right all right better. So, better. thanks for listening and uh again we'll encourage you to listen to all the npr um podcasts that are out there there's a nice array of of cool information out there so educate yourself keep listening and thanks for supporting us and and listening to reptile fight club we'll catch you next week fight on folks fight club